Chapter six of part four of the idiot parts three and four by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Eva M. Martin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As to the evening party at the Epanchines, at which Princess Bielokonsky was to be present, Varya had reported with accuracy, though she had perhaps expressed herself too strongly. The thing was decided in a hurry and with a certain amount of quite unnecessary excitement, doubtless because nothing could be done in this house like anywhere else. The impatience of Lizabetha Prokofievna to get things settled explained a good deal, as well as the anxiety of both parents for the happiness of their beloved daughter. Besides, Princess Bielokonsky was going away soon, and they hoped that she would take an interest in the prince they were anxious that he should enter society under the auspices of this lady whose patronage was the best of recommendations for any young man even if there seems something strange about the match the general and his wife said to each other the world will accept aglaya's fiance without any question if he is under the patronage of the princess in any case the prince would have to be shown sooner or later that is introduced into society of which he had so far not the least idea moreover it was only a question of a small gathering of a few intimate friends besides princess bielokonsky only one other lady was expected the wife of a high dignitary evgeny pavlovitch who was to escort the princess was the only young man muishkin was told of the princess's visit three days beforehand but nothing was said to him about the party until the night before it was to take place he could not help observing the excited and agitated condition of all members of the family and from certain hints dropped in conversation he gathered that they were all anxious as to the impression he should make upon the princess but the epanchins one and all believed that muishkin in his simplicity of mind was quite incapable of realizing that they could be feeling any anxiety on his account and for this reason they all looked at him with dread and uneasiness in point of fact he did attach marvellously little importance to the approaching event he was occupied with altogether different thoughts aglaya was growing hourly more capricious and gloomy and this distressed him when they told him that evgeny pavlovitch was expected he evinced great delight and said that he had long wished to see him and somehow these words did not please any one aglaya left the room in a fit of irritation and it was not until late in the evening past eleven when the prince was taking his departure that she said a word or two to him privately as she accompanied him as far as the front door i should like you she said not to come here to-morrow until evening when the guests are all assembled you know there are to be guests don't you she spoke impatiently and with severity this was the first allusion she had made to the party of to-morrow she hated the idea of it every one saw that and she would probably have liked to quarrel about it with her parents but pride and modesty prevented her from broaching the subject the prince jumped to the conclusion that aglaya too was nervous about him and the impression he would make and that she did not like to admit her anxiety and this thought alarmed him yes i am invited he replied she was evidently in difficulties as to how best to go on may i speak of something serious to you for once in my life she asked angrily she was irritated at she knew not what and could not restrain her wrath 
of course you may i'm very glad to listen replied muishkin aglaya was silent a moment and then began again with evident dislike of her subject i do not wish to quarrel with them about this in some things they won't be reasonable i always did feel a loathing for the laws which seem to guide mamma's conduct at times i don't speak of father for he cannot be expected to be anything but what he is mother is a noble-minded woman i know you try to suggest anything mean to her and you'll see but she is such a slave to these miserable creatures i don't mean old bielokonski alone she is a contemptible old thing but she is able to twist people round her little finger and i admire that in her at all events how mean it all is and how foolish we were always middle-class thoroughly middle-class people why should we attempt to climb into the giddy heights of the fashionable world my sisters are all for it it's prince s they have to thank for poisoning their minds why are you so glad that evgeny pavlovitch is coming listen to me aglaya said the prince i do believe you are nervous lest i shall make a fool of myself to-morrow at your party nervous about you aglaya blushed why should i be nervous about you what should it matter to me if you were to make ever such a fool of yourself how can you say such a thing what do you mean by making a fool of yourself what a vulgar expression i suppose you intend to talk in that sort of way to-morrow evening look up a few more such expressions in your dictionary do you'll make a grand effect i'm sorry that you seem to be able to come into a room as gracefully as you do where did you learn the art do you think you can drink a cup of tea decently when you know everybody is looking at you on purpose to see how you do it yes i think i can can you i'm sorry for it then for i should have had a good laugh at you otherwise do break something at least in the drawing-room upset the chinese vase won't you it's a valuable one do break it mamma values it and she'll go out of her mind it was a present she'll cry before every one you'll see wave your hand about you know as you always do and just smash it sit down near it on purpose on the contrary i shall sit as far from it as i can thanks for the hint ha ha then you are afraid you will wave your arms about i wouldn't mind betting that you'll talk about some lofty subject something serious and learned how delightful how tactful that will be i should think it would be very foolish indeed unless it happened to come in appropriately look here once for all cried aglaya boiling over if i hear you talking about capital punishment or the economical condition of russia or about beauty redeeming the world or anything of that sort i'll-well of course i shall laugh and seem very pleased but i warn you beforehand don't look me in the face again i'm serious now mind this time i am really serious she certainly did say this very seriously so much so that she looked quite different from what she usually was and the prince could not help noticing the fact she did not seem to be joking in the slightest degree well you've put me into such a fright that i shall certainly make a fool of myself and very likely break something too i wasn't a bit alarmed before but now i'm as nervous as can be then don't speak at all sit still and don't talk oh i can't do that you know i shall say something foolish out of pure funk and break something for the same excellent reason i know i shall perhaps i shall slip and fall on the slippery floor i've done that before now you know 
I shall dream of it all night now. Why did you say anything about it? Aglaya looked blackly at him. Do you know what? I had better not come at all tomorrow. I'll plead sick list and stay away, said the prince, with decision. Aglaya stamped her foot and grew quite pale with anger. Oh, my goodness! Just listen to that! Better not come! When the party is on purpose for him! Good Lord! What a delightful thing it is to have to do with such a—such a stupid as you are! Well, I'll come, I'll come, interrupted the prince hastily, and I'll give you my word of honour that I will sit the whole evening and not say a word. I believe that's the best thing you can do. You said you'd plead sick list just now. Where in the world do you get hold of such expressions? Why do you talk to me like this? Are you trying to irritate me, or what? Forgive me, it's a schoolboy expression. I won't do it again. I know quite well, I see it, that you are anxious on my account. Now don't be angry. And it makes me very happy to see it. You wouldn't believe how frightened I am of misbehaving somehow, and how glad I am of your instructions. But all this panic is simply nonsense, you know, Aglaya. I give you my word, it is. I am so pleased that you are such a child, such a dear good child. How charming you can be if you like, Aglaya. Aglaya wanted to be angry, of course, but suddenly some quite unexpected feeling seized upon her heart, all in a moment. And you won't reproach me for all these rude words of mine, some day, afterwards? she asked of a sudden. What an idea! Of course not! And what are you blushing for again? And there comes that frown once more. You've taken to looking too gloomy sometimes, Aglaya, much more than you used to. I know why it is. Be quiet! Do be quiet! No, no, I had much better speak out. I have long wished to say it, and have said it, but that's not enough, for you didn't believe me. Between us two there stands a being who— Be quiet! Be quiet! Be quiet! Be quiet! Aglaya struck in, suddenly, seizing his hand in hers and gazing at him almost in terror. At this moment she was called by someone. She broke loose from him with an air of relief and ran away. The prince was in a fever all night. It was strange, but he had suffered from fever for several nights in succession. On this particular night, while in semi-delirium, he had an idea. What if on the morrow he were to have a fit before everybody? The thought seemed to freeze his blood within him. All night he fancied himself in some extraordinary society of strange persons. The worst of it was that he was talking nonsense. He knew that he ought not to speak at all and yet he talked the whole time. He seemed to be trying to persuade them all to something. Evgeny and Hippolyte were among the guests, and appeared to be great friends. He awoke towards nine o'clock with a headache, full of confused ideas and strange impressions. For some reason or other he felt most anxious to see Rogozhin, to see and talk to him, but what he wished to say he could not tell. Next he determined to go and see Hippolyte. His mind was in a confused state, so much so that the incidents of the morning seemed to be imperfectly realized, though acutely felt. One of these incidents was a visit from Lebedeff. Lebedeff came rather early, before ten, but he was tipsy already. Though the prince was not in an observant condition, yet he could not avoid seeing that for at least three days, ever since General Ivolgin had left the house, Lebedeff had been behaving very badly. He looked untidy and dirty at all times of the day, 
and it was said that he had begun to rage about in his own house and that his temper was very bad as soon as he arrived this morning he began to hold forth beating his breast and apparently blaming himself for something i've i've had a reward for my meanness i've had a slap in the face he concluded tragically a slap in the face from whom and so early in the morning early said lebedeff sarcastically time counts for nothing even in physical chastisement but my slap in the face was not physical it was moral he suddenly took a seat very unceremoniously and began his story it was very disconnected the prince frowned and wished he could get away but suddenly a few words struck him he sat stiff with wonder lebedeff said some extraordinary things in the first place he began about some letter the name of aglaya ivanovna came in then suddenly he broke off and began to accuse the prince of something he was apparently offended with him at first he declared that the prince had trusted him with his confidences as to a certain person nastasia filipovna but that of late his friendship had been thrust back into his bosom and his innocent question as to approaching family changes had been curtly put aside which lebedeff declared with tipsy tears he could not bear especially as he knew so much already both from rogozhin and nastasia filipovna and her friend and from varvara Dalyanovna, and even from aglaya ivanovna through his daughter vera and who told lisabetha prokofievna something in secret by letter who told her all about the movements of a certain person called nastasia filipovna who was the anonymous person eh tell me surely not you cried the prince just so said lebedeff with dignity and only this very morning i have sent up a letter to the noble lady stating that i have a matter of great importance to communicate she received the letter i know she got it and she received me too have you just seen lisabetha prokofievna asked the prince scarcely believing his ears yes i saw her and got the said slap in the face as mentioned she chucked the letter back to me unopened and kicked me out of the house morally not physically although not far off it what letter do you mean she returned unopened what didn't i tell you ha 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 i thought i had why i received a letter you know to be handed over from whom to whom but it was difficult if not impossible to extract anything from lebedeff all the prince could gather was that the letter had been received very early and had a request written on the outside that it might be sent on to the address given just as before sir just as before to a certain person and from a certain hand the individual's name who wrote the letter is to be represented by the letter a what impossible to nastasia philipovna nonsense cried the prince it was i assure you and if not to her then to rogozhin which is the same thing mr hippolyte has had letters too and all from the individual whose name begins with an a smirked lebedeff with a hideous grin as he kept jumping from subject to subject and forgetting what he had begun to talk about the prince said nothing but waited to give him time it was all very vague who had taken the letters if letters there were probably vera and how could lebedeff have got them in all probability he had managed to steal the present letter from vera and had himself gone over to lisabetha prokofievna with some idea in his head 
so the prince concluded at last you are mad he cried indignantly not quite esteemed prince replied lebedeff with some acerbity i confess i thought of doing you the service of handing the letter over to yourself but i decided that it would pay me better to deliver it up to the noble lady aforesaid as i had informed her of everything hitherto by anonymous letters so when i sent her up a note from myself with the letter you know in order to fix a meeting for eight o'clock this morning i signed it your secret correspondent they let me in at once very quickly by the back door and the noble lady received me well go on oh well when i saw her she almost punched my head as i say in fact so nearly that one might almost say she did punch my head she threw the letter in my face she seemed to reflect first as if she would have liked to keep it but thought better of it and threw it in my face instead if anybody can have been such a fool as to trust a man like you to deliver the letter says she take it and deliver it hey she was grandly indignant a fierce fiery lady that sir where's the letter now oh i've still got it here and he handed the prince the very letter from aglaya to gania which the latter showed with so much triumph to his sister at a later hour this letter cannot be allowed to remain in your hands it's for you for you i've brought it to you on purpose cried lebedeff excitedly why i'm yours again now heart and hand your slave there was but a momentary pause in the flow of my love and esteem for you mia culpa mia culpa as the pope of rome says this letter should be sent on at once said the prince disturbed i'll hand it over myself wouldn't it be better esteemed prince wouldn't it be better to don't you know lebedeff made a strange and very expressive grimace he twisted about in his chair and did something apparently symbolical with his hands what do you mean said the prince why open it for the time being don't you know he said most confidentially and mysteriously the prince jumped up so furiously that lebedeff ran towards the door having gained which strategic position however he stopped and looked back to see if he might hope for pardon oh lebedeff lebedeff can a man really sink to such depth of meanness said the prince sadly lebedeff's face brightened oh i'm a mean wretch a mean wretch he said approaching the prince once more and beating his breast with tears in his eyes it's abominable dishonesty you know dishonesty it is it is that's the very word what in the world induces you to act so you are nothing but a spy why did you write anonymously to worry so noble and generous a lady why should not aglaya ivanovna write a note to whomever she pleases what did you mean to complain of today? what did you expect to get by it what made you go at all pure amiable curiosity i assure you desire to do a service that's all now i'm entirely yours again your slave hang me if you like did you go before lizabetha prokofievna in your present condition inquired the prince no oh no fresher more the correct card i only became this like after the humiliation i suffered there well that'll do now leave me this injunction had to be repeated several times before the man could be persuaded to move even then he turned back at the door came as far as the middle of the room and there went through his mysterious motions designed to convey the suggestion 
that the prince should open the letter he did not dare put his suggestion into words again after this performance he smiled sweetly and left the room on tiptoe all this had been very painful to listen to one fact stood out certain and clear and that was that poor aglaya must be in a state of great distress and indecision and mental torment from jealousy the prince whispered to himself undoubtedly in this inexperienced but hot and proud little head there were all sorts of plans forming wild and impossible plans maybe and the idea of this so frightened the prince that he could not make up his mind what to do something must be done that was clear he looked at the address on the letter once more oh he was not in the least degree alarmed about aglaya writing such a letter he could trust her what he did not like about it was that he could not trust gania however he made up his mind that he would himself take the note and deliver it indeed he went so far as to leave the house and walk up the road but changed his mind when he had nearly reached Petitsin's door however he there luckily met kolya and commissioned him to deliver the letter to his brother as if direct from aglaya kolya asked no questions but simply delivered it and gania consequently had no suspicion that it had passed through so many hands arrived home again the prince sent for vera lebedeff and told her as much as was necessary in order to relieve her mind for she had been in a dreadful state of anxiety since she had missed the letter she heard with horror that her father had taken it muishkin learned from her that she had on several occasions performed secret missions both for aglaya and for rogojin without however having had the slightest idea that in so doing she might injure the prince in any way the latter with one thing and another was now so disturbed and confused that when a couple of hours or so later a message came from kolya that the general was ill he could hardly take the news in however when he did master the fact it acted upon him as a tonic by completely distracting his attention he went at once to nina alexandrovna's whither the general had been carried and stayed there until the evening he could do no good but there are people whom to have near one is a blessing at such times kolya was in an almost hysterical state he cried continuously but was running about all day all the same fetching doctors of whom he collected three going to the chemists and so on the general was brought round to some extent but the doctors declared that he could not be said to be out of danger varya and nina alexandrovna never left the sick man's bedside gania was excited and distressed but would not go upstairs and seemed afraid to look at the patient he wrung his hands when the prince spoke to him and said that such a misfortune at such a moment was terrible the prince thought he knew what gania meant by such a moment hippolyte was not in the house lebedeff turned up late in the afternoon he had been asleep ever since his interview with the prince in the morning he was quite sober now and cried with real sincerity over the sick general mourning for him as though he were his own brother he blamed himself aloud but did not explain why he repeated over and over again to nina alexandrovna that he alone was to blame no one else but that he had acted out of pure amiable curiosity and that the deceased as he insisted upon calling the still living general had been the greatest of geniuses he laid much stress on the genius of the sufferer as if this idea must be one of immense solace in the present crisis nina alexandrovna seeing his sincerity of feeling 
said at last and without the faintest suspicion of reproach in her voice come come don't cry god will forgive you lebedeff was so impressed by these words and the tone in which they were spoken that he could not leave nina alexandrovna all the evening in fact for several days till the general's death indeed he spent almost all his time at his side twice during the day a messenger came to nina alexandrovna from the epanchins to inquire after the invalid when late in the evening the prince made his appearance in lizabetha prokofievna's drawing-room he found it full of guests mrs epanchin questioned him very fully about the general as soon as he appeared and when old princess bielokonski wished to know who this general was and who was nina alexandrovna she proceeded to explain in a manner which pleased the prince very much he himself when relating the circumstances of the general's illness to lizabetha prokofievna spoke beautifully as aglaya's sisters declared afterwards modestly quietly without gestures or too many words and with great dignity he had entered the room with propriety and grace and he was perfectly dressed he not only did not fall down on the slippery floor as he had expressed it but evidently made a very favourable impression upon the assembled guests as for his own impression on entering the room and taking his seat he instantly remarked that the company was not in the least such as aglaya's words had led him to fear and as he had dreamed of in nightmare form all night this was the first time in his life that he had seen a little corner of what was generally known by the terrible name of society he had long thirsted for reasons of his own to penetrate the mysteries of the magic circle and therefore this assemblage was of the greatest possible interest to him his first impression was one of fascination somehow or other he felt that all these people must have been born on purpose to be together it seemed to him that the epanchins were not having a party at all that these people must have been here always and that he himself was one of them returned among them after a long absence but one of them naturally and indisputably it never struck him that all this refined simplicity and nobility and wit and personal dignity might possibly be no more than an exquisite artistic polish the majority of the guests who were somewhat empty-headed after all in spite of their aristocratic bearing never guessed in their self-satisfied composure that much of their superiority was mere veneer which indeed they had adopted unconsciously and by inheritance the prince would never so much as suspect such a thing in the delight of his first impression he saw for instance that one important dignitary old enough to be his grandfather broke off his own conversation in order to listen to him a young and inexperienced man and not only listened but seemed to attach value to his opinion and was kind and amiable and yet they were strangers and had never seen each other before perhaps what most appealed to the prince's impressionability was the refinement of the old man's courtesy towards him perhaps the soil of his susceptible nature was really predisposed to receive a pleasant impression meanwhile all these people though friends of the family and of each other to a certain extent were very far from being such intimate friends of the family and of each other as the prince concluded there were some present who never would think of considering the epanchins their equals there were even some who hated one another cordially for instance old princess bielokonski had all her life despised the wife of the dignitary 
while the latter was very far from loving lisabetha prokofievna the dignitary himself had been general epanchin's protector from his youth up and the general considered him so majestic a personage that he would have felt a hearty contempt for himself if he had even for one moment allowed himself to pose as the great man's equal or to think of him in his fear and reverence as anything less than an olympic god there were others present who had not met for years and who had no feeling whatever for each other unless it were dislike and yet they met to-night as though they had seen each other but yesterday in some friendly and intimate assembly of kindred spirits it was not a large party however besides princess bielokonski and the old dignitary who was really a great man and his wife there was an old military general a count or baron with a german name a man reputed to possess great knowledge and administrative ability he was one of those olympian administrators who know everything except russia pronounce a word of extraordinary wisdom admired by all about once in five years and after being an eternity in the service generally die full of honour and riches though they have never done anything great and have even been hostile to all greatness this general was ivan fedorovitch's immediate superior in the service and it pleased the latter to look upon him also as a patron on the other hand the great man did not at all consider himself epanchin's patron he was always very cool to him while taking advantage of his ready services and would instantly have put another in his place if there had been the slightest reason for the change another guest was an elderly important-looking gentleman a distant relative of lisabetha prokofievna's this gentleman was rich held a good position was a great talker and had the reputation of being one of the dissatisfied though not belonging to the dangerous sections of that class he had the manners to some extent of the english aristocracy and some of their tastes especially in the matter of underdone roast beef harness men-servants etc he was a great friend of the dignitaries and lisabetha prokofievna for some reason or other had got hold of the idea that this worthy intended at no distant date to offer the advantages of his hand and heart to alexandra besides the elevated and more solid individuals enumerated there were present a few younger though not less elegant guests besides prince s and evgeny pavlovitch we must name the eminent and fascinating prince n once the vanquisher of female hearts all over europe this gentleman was no longer in the first bloom of youth he was forty-five but still very handsome he was well off and lived as a rule abroad and was noted as a good teller of stories then came a few guests belonging to a lower stratum of society people who like the epanchins themselves moved only occasionally in this exalted sphere the epanchins liked to draft among their more elevated guests a few picked representatives of this lower stratum and lisabetha prokofievna received much praise for this practice which proved her friends said that she was a woman of tact the epanchins prided themselves upon the good opinion people held of them one of the representatives of the middle-class present to-day was a colonel of engineers a very serious man and a great friend of prince s who had introduced him to the epanchins he was extremely silent in society and displayed on the forefinger of his right hand a large ring probably bestowed upon him for services of some sort there was also a poet german by name 
but a russian poet very presentable and even handsome the sort of man one could bring into society with impunity this gentleman belonged to a german family of decidedly bourgeois origin but he had a knack of acquiring the patronage of bigwigs and of retaining their favour he had translated some great german poem into russian verse and claimed to have been a friend of a famous russian poet since dead it is strange how great a multitude of literary people there are who have had the advantages of friendship with some great man of their own profession who is unfortunately dead the dignitary's wife had introduced this worthy to the epanchins this lady posed as the patroness of literary people and she certainly had succeeded in obtaining pensions for a few of them thanks to her influence with those in authority on such matters she was a lady of weight in her own way her age was about forty-five so that she was a very young wife for such an elderly husband as the dignitary she had been a beauty in her day and still loved as many ladies of forty-five do love to dress a little too smartly her intellect was nothing to boast of and her literary knowledge very doubtful literary patronage was however with her as much a mania as was the love of gorgeous clothes many books and translations were dedicated to her by her protégés and a few of these talented individuals had published some of their own letters to her upon very weighty subjects this then was the society that the prince accepted at once as true coin as pure gold without alloy it so happened however that on this particular evening all these good people were in excellent humour and highly pleased with themselves every one of them felt that they were doing the epanchins the greatest possible honour by their presence but alas the prince never suspected any such subtleties for instance he had no suspicion of the fact that the epanchins having in their mind so important a step as the marriage of their daughter would never think of presuming to take it without having previously shown off the proposed husband to the dignitary the recognized patron of the family the latter too though he would probably have received news of a great disaster to the apanchin family with perfect composure would nevertheless have considered it a personal offence if they had dared to marry their daughter without his advice or we might say his leave the amiable and undoubtedly witty prince n could not but feel that he was as a sun risen for one night only to shine upon the epanchin drawing-room he accounted them immeasurably his inferiors and it was this feeling which caused his special amiability and delightful ease and grace towards them he knew very well that he must tell some story this evening for the edification of the company and led up to it with the inspiration of anticipatory triumph the prince when he heard the story afterwards felt that he had never yet come across so wonderful a humorist or such remarkable brilliancy as was shown by this man and yet if he had only known it this story was the oldest stalest and most worn-out yarn and every drawing-room in town was sick to death of it it was only in the innocent epanchin household that it passed for a new and brilliant tale as a sudden and striking reminiscence of a splendid and talented man even the german poet though as amiable as possible felt that he was doing the house the greatest honours by his presence in it but the prince only looked at the bright side he did not turn the coat and see the shabby lining aglaya had not foreseen that particular calamity 
she herself looked wonderfully beautiful this evening all three sisters were dressed very tastefully and their hair was done with special care aglaya sat next to evgeny pavlovitch and laughed and talked to him with an unusual display of friendliness evgeny himself behaved rather more sedately than usual probably out of respect to the dignitary evgeny had been known in society for a long while he had appeared at the epanchins today with crape on his hat and princess bielokonski had commended this action on his part not every society man would have worn crape for such an uncle lisabetha prokofievna had liked it also but was too preoccupied to take much notice the prince remarked that aglaya looked attentively at him two or three times and seemed to be satisfied with his behaviour little by little he became very happy indeed all his late anxieties and apprehensions after his conversation with lebedeff now appeared like so many bad dreams impossible and even laughable he did not speak much only answering such questions as were put to him and gradually settled down into unbroken silence listening to what went on and steeped in perfect satisfaction and contentment little by little a sort of inspiration however began to stir within him ready to spring into life at the right moment when he did begin to speak it was accidentally in response to a question and apparently without any special object End of chapter six